Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. In today's Gospel, we hear Jesus teaching in the synagogue. It appears it's a typical day in the life of Jesus Christ. But there's something different here, and the people in the synagogue pick up on it. Notice how the Gospel starts. It said they traveled to Capernaum. Now we have to realize Capernaum is a neighboring village or town of Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. So chances are, there are people in this synagogue where Jesus is at who know Jesus. They watched him grow up from a little boy to a grown man. Now, it continues. It says, The people were astonished at his teaching because he taught as having authority and not as the scribes. Now, the Greek word that is used for authority is usios, which when translated means source. Jesus teaches, yes, with authority as if he is the source of that teaching. And we all know Jesus is that source of the teaching. Jesus knows the law and the prophets intimately. Why? Because he is the embodiment of that. He is the font of divine revelation that the prophets have drunken from for centuries on end. And so we're not surprised at that because we have 2,000 years of theology underneath our belt. We know that. But... If you are a Jew living in the first century, sitting in that synagogue as Jesus is teaching, you too would be astonished for a number of reasons. First and foremost, it was the scribes that were typically the teachers of that time. They were the traditional teachers. They were the ones that were trained to go out and teach the law, the prophets, doctrine, and dogma. But they relied upon the help of others of priests and chief priests, to interpret sacred scripture as well as tradition. They didn't teach with authority, as if they were the source, because they were not. A second reason is, and most importantly, the people were astonished because they suffered what I believe is the principle of familiarity. Remember, they're at Capernaum, Jesus' neighborhood. They know Jesus. They've watched him grow up. They know he's the son of a carpenter. Better yet, they know Jesus was never sent for formal training. He was never sent for formal education like the scribes, to be educated in the law and the prophets and tradition. I'll give you a good analogy. It'd be like your next-door neighbor has a young daughter, a young son, and you watch that child grow up to become an adult. And yet during that whole time, you know that the child was never sent to grade school, high school, or college. They were never sent to a trade school. But now, this person is making airplanes, in fact, jet airplanes, and flying them themselves across the world. So you say to yourself, how did this person get this type of skill and ability? They never went to school. How could they perform such engineering feats? 
so you would be surprised yourself. Well, that's exactly how the people in the synagogue feel right now. They're astonished because they never saw Jesus get any proper training whatsoever. And this is why the people never accepted Jesus as the Messiah. In the end, they would reject him. That's why Jesus would always say, A prophet is not without honor, except in his native place and in his own house. That's why when Jesus went to Nazareth, he was able to perform very few miracles there because of their lack of faith. The people there were superficial in their knowledge of Jesus. They only knew him as a carpenter's son. They wouldn't open themselves up to see that he was far, far more than that. Now, we have to avoid that same trap ourselves. We have to avoid that temptation. I'll give you a great example of this. One of the things that I like doing is interviewing confirmation kids before their confirmation to see how they're doing and how they are prepared to receive the sacrament. Now, it's so funny. So many of the kids will tell me that they believe confirmation is graduation. That after confirmation, yes, they don't have to come to faith formation classes anymore. And so they believe that that's the end of their faith formation, the end of them coming to know their faith in a greater and greater way. And I'll always tell them, this is not the end. It's just the beginning. See, we can't fall into that trap of that principle of familiarity in which we just throw our arms up and say, I know everything I need to know about our faith. I always preach about lifelong faith formation from womb to tomb. We should never stop learning about our faith. We should always learn about all the different aspects of our faith, whether it's art or architecture, music, sacred scripture, tradition, doctrine. Our Catholic faith is inexhaustible. I used to have a professor at Mundelein Seminary. He would always tell us, if you really want to know everything about a Catholic faith, it would take three lifetimes to completely know everything. Now, should that discourage us? No, not at all. In fact, it should motivate us all the more. Now, it's interesting, this story. It highlights the power of God's Word. The first power of God's Word is to be able to teach and teach with authority. And why not? Jesus is the source of everything about our faith. He is the font that we drink from when it comes to all the truth that we need to know about the Catholic faith. But also, Jesus teaches us in the second part of the gospel story for this weekend that his word has a power associated with it, a power to create and change. The second part of the story, Jesus expels an evil demon out of the person and he cures them. And so we see the power of the word of God. It's on display. But back up a bit. Go to the first reading. We see before even Jesus Christ, the power of the word of God on display. Go to the book of Deuteronomy in the first reading. God says to Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their king, and I will put my words into their mouths. God raises up prophet after prophet throughout salvation history, and he places his word in their mouths. And those words have the power to change the hearts and the minds of the Israelite people so they can be God's chosen people and a holy nation. Now, what's so amazing about this, 
God puts his word into the prophets' mouths, but the languages that they speak are different based upon God's will. I'll give you some examples. Moses speaks the language of liberation as he is about to liberate the Israelites from their slavery in Egypt. Jeremiah, he speaks a language of reform and reconciliation so that the Israelites can come back to God and be in a right relationship with God. Amos, he speaks the language of social justice. He awakens the Israelites and their responsibility to care for the poor and the needy in their society. Or Isaiah, he speaks the language of hope as the Israelites live in slavery in Babylon. The Word of God has the power to change and create. We see that no better than in the story of creation. How does God create this entire universe? Does he use machines? Does he use tools? Does he roll up his sleeves with muscles? No, he creates this entire universe by his own word, in his own word alone. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let the earth bring forth all kinds of creatures, and all the animals sprang into being. God said, let us make man in our own image and likeness and humanity was born. We see the power of the Word of God on display, and the Gospel reminds us of just that. And yet, it doesn't stop there. Every time we gather for Mass, we see the power of the Word of God at the consecration. As the priest holds the bread up and says, Take this, for this is my body. He takes the chalice, he holds it up, and he says, Take this chalice which is the chalice of my blood, and drink it. Those words have the power to change the bread and the wine into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. How? Because those are the words that Jesus spoke at the time of the Last Supper. And those words, even to this day, when spoken, command the Holy Spirit to descend upon the altar and transform and consecrate the bread and the wine into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And this is attested to by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and St. Paul. Our God, the God that created this entire universe by his very word, now has the power to consecrate and make holy the gifts that we place on the altar every time we gather for Mass. And yet, it doesn't stop there. The power of the word of God has the ability to change our heart, our mind, our soul, our will, and our conscience so that we can live holy and virtuous life. Every time we pray, every time we pray, we open up our heart, our mind, our will, and our intellect, and God speaks to us in the very depths of our heart, and His Word helps us to grow in a greater faith and relationship with God and live the virtuous life. And see, the power of the Word of God affects us every day of our life and every time we come for Mass. Friends, strongly encourage you, take some time this week. Reread this Gospel story. It helps us and reminds us about the Word of God. The Word of God teaches us with authority, and it should, because the source is God Himself. But also, there is a creative power associated with the Word of God. And we see it in our lives. Every time we come to Mass, every time we pray, it helps us, it changes us 
to live good, holy, and virtuous lives. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.